Um, this morning, I um, have the pleasure to be in a new series on the book of Philippians. We're going to be going through the book of Philippians verse by verse over the next few weeks. And this morning, we'll be starting in Philippians chapter 1. So open up your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have your own Bible, there are some Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can actually take that home with you as a gift from us to you. You are not stealing from God. God gave that to you. So he did. He did. He gave that to you. Let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Justin. Bienvenue au Canada. That means welcome to Canada. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is. Any of you like this weather? May the Lord have mercy upon you. I love, Andrew and I love to celebrate me more than her, uh, the fact that we are from Canada. Uh, the from is a really, really big deal. It is incredibly chilly out there, but it is warm in here. And this morning we are going to unpack these verses from Philippians chapter 1. So I hope you have your Bibles ready. What do you do when you find yourself in the circumstances that you don't want to be in? Like you don't want to be here, but you find yourself in them. And you don't have like an option to get out of it. So in the end, you've got to, you've got to endure. You've got to go through it. Um, and you never imagined that you would be in this place, but you find yourself in it. And now you've got to process, how did I get here? Okay, I guess I can't, the only way out of this is through it. How do I um, trust God in that moment? How do I not allow the difficult circumstances around me to poison me, my spirit and my attitude, my outlook? How do I do that? That's hard. When you didn't expect to be in a place and when you really do kind of come to that moment, I'm I'm sure a lot of you are thinking of an experience that you had. Didn't necessarily think I would be here, but now I'm here. I don't know how to get out. I guess I can't. The only way out is through. What do you do? For the Apostle Paul One of the things he did was he sang. Now, one difference for him is is that when I say he didn't know this was going to happen, 
He did kind of know it was going to happen. He finds himself in a prison in Philippi. And God told him this would happen. It was actually a prophecy that not only would he come to Jesus Christ, but you will be my witness, and you will be my witness before kings, and I will show you how much you will, must, suffer for my name. So the apostle Paul was given the warning, but it's not like he had trained his entire life for this. And he finds himself in a prison in Philippi. This is before the book was ever written. And he finds himself there. What do you do? Well, he and Silas decided that what they were going to do was to sing. And I, I don't know what those songs were. We don't know. But somehow those songs um, that they sung, and I'm, I'm sure, uh, being humans, Paul and Silas, that they were sung aspirationally, I guess, at some level which, by the way, we're about to sing in a few moments. And it's okay if you find yourself at the beginning of 2024 in circumstances that you did not foresee, that you wish were different. You'll have an opportunity to sing. And I think it's totally appropriate at times in our lives to sing aspirationally. I don't know how much this is just going to come out right now, but... I still believe this. It's just really, really hard because of the, the haze or the fog, the brokenness that I'm finding myself enduring. I'm still going to sing. I, I don't know. It's, when I was younger, I just kind of thought Paul was just, we're here in prison, and prison's not that bad. No, this isn't Elf. <laughs> I don't know if that's the song. It, it, it might have been a song. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing the cries of my groaning? But he sang, nonetheless. That's, that's, who, he, that's who he is, becoming in Christ. These are the circumstances. These are the circumstances that I'm going through. And Jesus has not changed. And now I'm, I'm trying to live in light of the call that I have, the direction that I'm going in, in light of my past, stuck in my present, looking forward to the future. And there Paul is going through all of this in Philippi. This is a little bit outside the scope of, of our lesson this morning, but I think you need to know this. If you want to go back and get an understanding of how Paul ever got to Philippi in the first place, to be able to write this letter, Acts 16. We're not going to go there. You can go there later, but we're not going to go there. But in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul apparently has a completely different plan. It seems like Paul's desire is actually to go more east. Maybe like Matthew. Maybe like Thomas and go to India. But no, what you actually have as Luke recording is that the Spirit of Jesus, the only time it's ever referenced, the Holy Spirit is ever referenced like that. The Spirit of Jesus hindered him, and then he, he, he sees a man in Macedonia, which Philippi is that area, saying, come over here. And the Apostle Paul is redirected. And when he gets there, that man is a woman named Lydia, and he has a number of really interesting encounters with a slave girl and then a Philippian jailer, and he's there for a little while, but after he and Silas get out of prison, they leave, 
but a church has now been established. And the Apostle Paul still cares about them. And he goes on about his journey as this church started by the call of Christ upon Paul's life, furthered by this vision of the Macedonian call. The work that was done there, a very interesting and complicated work, is now planted. But the Apostle Paul isn't called to be the pastor at Philippi. He's called to plant churches wherever God would direct him. And now what we actually see in this letter is Paul finds himself in prison again. This is one of of the letters that is known as the prison epistles. So Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon are most likely all written at the same time when the Apostle Paul finds himself again in prison. And he's writing. Which is interesting because I don't know how well you know the book of Philippians. It's Paul's letter of joy. He loves to talk about rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to tell you again, rejoice in him. We're going to hear words like, do not be anxious in anything. He's writing that from prison. A Roman prison. And he's there. And Hear me, he's there justifiably because he's being accused of causing problems everywhere he goes. And he does, that's what the gospel does. And and Paul's response is just so beautiful. And and maybe that's because we don't know exactly what's going on in the Philippian church, but the Apostle Paul wants them to not be afraid, to not be anxious, to know that difficulties are going to come. But Jesus is the same. Our mission has not changed. We get to do this together, and God will see us through. Let's, let's break this down. It literally begins with this particular idea. This is a letter from Paul and Timothy. Ordinarily, when I think of the, the, the letters of the Apostle Paul, I think of him writing them, right? Him sitting somewhere, probably in a dungeon, and he's writing these letters. But I was amazed when I began to discover that a lot of his letters are actually written from Paul and Timothy, like this one, or Paul and Timothy and Silas. Like, Paul has such a us orientedness to him like he recognizes and therefore he writes alongside of others he invites them in and then look at the description of him in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 Um, one thing that you can do to kind of get a sense of what's going on in this letter is by taking a look at how the apostle Paul describes himself When he's got to speak some pretty strong words to a church in Galatia in which he's going to say things like, who has bewitched you? And he has strong language. Paul, an apostle, right? And although they capitalized every letter back then in their letters, it's almost like he's insinuating, and you want to capitalize that A because I'm speaking strongly to you today. But that's not this one. Look at how it's described. Paul and Timothy, servants. That's unique, actually. Here we are, servants. Hold on to that, because as we're going to see in this letter, being a servant is a really big deal. It's how we need to look at our understanding of ourselves with God. It's how Jesus understood his relationship to the Father. 
that he would empty himself and empty himself and serve to the point of. It's what we see in other people like Epaphroditus and Timothy himself. This is what it means. And the Apostle Paul, who will at many times have no problem describing himself as apostle, not here. I'm a servant. The great Apostle Paul. I'm here to serve you. Look at this, Galatians chapter one. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Yeah, buckle up. Look at what he does to Philemon. Paul, prisoner. Hmm. Philemon, by the way, is, a, is an owner of, a, of a, an indentured servant, a bond servant. And the Apostle Paul wants him to know this is how we treat one another. And I think he's really leveraging that. By the way, I'm a prisoner. Like, I know what it's like to be on the outside. I know what it's like. So here he is, an apostle and sometimes a prisoner. And, but, but here, I'm a, I'm a servant. That's going to set the direction of this thing. And then he describes, like in all those letters, who is it written to? And here's how he describes them. All of the saints, all of the saints, and not only that, look at how it's described, this is somewhat unique, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. There is this broad brush bringing everybody in. You know what's interesting though? One part that is not unique to this text is the term saints. To every one of Paul's letters, and this is going to matter Not only as we're understanding this book, but as we are understanding ourselves. That that, that term, I think we need to go back and we need to not only have a right understanding of it, we need to claim it in so many ways. If we're going to get to the point, like at the end of our text today, where we're going to be able to stand before Christ pure and blameless, because we've grown in our knowledge of and discernment in every way, and the fruit of righteousness is now growing in us, then we need to embrace the fact that we are all, in fact, saints. It's, it's terminology that we're very seldom comfortable with. No, 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 not me. I'm a sinner, not a saint. Actually, the joy of church is that you're both. The amazing power of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, the answer to you, saint or sinner, is yes. Like I understand, so the, the, the Apostle Paul, the servant Paul, the prisoner Paul, he could actually say, Christ came and died for me, for sinners, of whom I consider myself to be the worst. Like he understands his brokenness. And, and can I tell you, I, I think if I understand our times, I, I don't think we, we see ourselves enough in the saint category. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with you going, no, but you don't understand. There's a lot of stuff that I'm working through. I'm with you. I get it. Me too. Maybe, maybe a little more for me, maybe a little less. I don't know. That's not the point. The point of understanding ourselves as saint, by the way, let me, just, let me just kind of translate it, not just use the word saints. Let me kind of translate it. I won't use the Greek, but I'll use kind of a better translation of it. It's this, the holy ones. If you were to translate it literally, it would be the holy ones that we then apply the word saint to. 
And the holiness that the Apostle Paul is is now clinging to, the holiness that we're going to celebrate in chapter 3, is not based upon anything Paul did outside of faith. It's based totally and directly the pureness and the blamelessness that the Apostle Paul is now calling us to remember and live towards is a a, a purity that actually comes from who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ gave to us. If you want a way to look at yourself, and and I, I swear to you, I'm not trying to be sweet. I'm not trying to be kind. I'm not trying to somehow build you up in a way. I'm not just, these aren't just words that are encouraging and build you up. I mean, I I think this is important for us as individuals, as as a church, as moms and dads, that we speak the truth to one another. So that in the end, we don't just go, oh, well, you know, he he says that to everybody, right? No, I don't say that to everybody. I don't consider everyone to be holy. Not at all. Actually, I only consider those who have placed their hope and faith in Jesus Christ to be holy. And they are the holy ones. They are the ones included here specifically in Philippi that Paul is speaking to. And he could have written, and by the way, I remember what you did. I'm not trying to pretend you didn't. But I want us to look long at what Christ has done for us to all of the saints, including the overseers and the deacons. Which, by the way, the word for deacon means servant. There it is again. I want you to know that you're saints. I I want you to see yourself. Not by, this is the beauty of it. It does not deny our past. The gospel redeems it. Do you see the difference? It doesn't deny it. It redeems it. It doesn't pretend it didn't happen. It acknowledges that it happened. That's what faith does. It acknowledges the brokenness. It acknowledges the sin. It acknowledges the rebellion. And then it clings to what Christ has offered. We, we usually reserve it for a few people. You know, the sweetest and the kindest. You know, like, have you heard about St. Genevieve? Yeah. Well, this morning she's sitting in a room of saints in a room of saints. And I'll state what we all know. She needed Jesus no less than anybody else, no more than anybody else. This is what it means to be to all the saints. And I I love this letter because obviously he's writing specifically to the church in Philippi, but I, I, I hear this invitation to all the saints. That's me. Preach, Paul. And so here's how the sermon actually begins. And he begins every and ends every one of his letters this way. Grace and peace to you. Here's how it comes out in the text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't just like one of those dear Gale. It's not that. This isn't just, although it is a way to just to greet The Apostle Paul, I don't think, is writing anything glibly. I don't think he's writing anything just casually. No, he's writing something very intentionally here. Grace and peace to you. And and this is why we need to have a more robust understanding of what grace is. Grace, the word could mean gift. 
it's not, I used to get this a lot. Um, students would hand in a paper and they would go, hey, remember Grace? And I would look on the top and I would go, I will, but your name's Trevor. <laughs> so I, 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 I just, I get what they're saying, right? Have you done that? Hey, offer me Grace. Sorry I'm late. Grace. It's like this weird trump card you're trying to play. It's, it's, it's fun to consider. My, one, of the, one of the gifts that my father gave me was reminding me constantly that I have always been and most likely will always be treated better than I deserve. Really? You call that a gift? Well, here's one thing it did do. It literally kind of opened my eyes to everything as a degree of kindness to me. Yeah, I actually am pretty grateful for that. Because sometimes all we think about grace is like, you know, go to heaven grace. Like, and this is how we even understand go to heaven grace, is look the other way grace. Hey, I know I wrote a really bad paper and, and grades actually should matter because grade inflation will only hurt all of us. And if I'm a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, Bible student, then most likely that's gonna bleed over into my ministry, but grace... Right? I promise I'll give you grace. I mean, sorry, still got a D, but the good news is, not kicking you out of class. Did you understand the levels of the giftedness that God brings to us? I mean, and the Apostle Paul is doing this in difficult circumstances. Well, at least I woke up in prison, at least. Another day. It's, it's interesting how there is this amazing perspective when we understand the ongoing, relentless grace of God that brought us to this point that we are being treated far better than we ever deserve by our good God. Most likely, you are being treated far better than you ever deserve by the person that you married. And I, I know there are some things they could do a little bit better. Please try. I'll try to. But do you understand? The Apostle Paul isn't just throwing up this get to heaven grace card. He is leaning into the ongoing, relentless, kindness, merciful, forgiving, loving, sending the rain on the just, on the unjust, sending the cold on the evil and the not so evil. The sun will come up tomorrowness of God grace to you. And, and by the way, you can't think about the grace of God, the multi-leveled grace of the giftedness of God to us without thinking about a peace that comes. Um, so I, I was in school last week and I'm, I'm going to an Anglican school. Uh, I don't know how well you know Anglicans, but um, we had Holy Eucharist on Wednesday. It was a great time. Great time. Haven't, haven't shared a common cup since COVID uh, since that moment. Uh, they had other options, but I thought, no, nope, I'm drinking from the cup. I'm here, we're doing this, okay? If it's gonna be wine and it's gonna be one cup, I'm doing it, okay? So there I am, and right before we did the Holy Eucharist, though, they, they said, now let us greet one another in peace. 
I didn't know kind of what that was, actually. I, I and mean, I've done this a few times before. But you would literally go around and you would just peace to you. And you would greet one another. Not, not hey, how you doing? It's not our, our more. No, no, no. It, it comes at a particular time in the service where we're pre- preparing to share of the Lord's Supper, which brought peace. And now we're going and we're extending peace to one another. We're offering peace to one another. We're celebrating the peace that we have. It was, it was more. And the Apostle Paul peace, shalom. He is is reminding them, he is extending them. Do you realize the kind of life that you can live when you have experienced the grace of God and now live in his peace? If you are a saint this morning, and we never assume when we preach that everyone in the room is. No, there's always the offer for those of you that are not that you're just on the sinner side and you I've not experienced the goodness of God and the, the full grace of God. I mean, I promise you've experienced God's grace, but the full grace of God through Jesus Christ, then there is something that is wrong and broken if you are standing outside. And, and you are, whether you understand it or not, you are at war with the creator of the universe. Now, he loved you enough to send his son to die for you to offer this peace. But for those of you that have it, the Apostle Paul says, peace to you. I think that's how Ryan can preach or um, whoever decides, whoever we decide will actually preach that Philippians text in four, be anxious about nothing. That's not, we don't believe in magic. We believe in the reordering of our mind and the reordering of our heart and the growing of our faith trusting in God and at the bedrock of that is God's grace and the fruit of that is a peace that comes it's a beautiful word it's not just peace and it's not peace it's think about it peace Do do you know what it's like to not be at war with someone. You know what it's like? Through Christ, that is your relationship with the creator of the universe. How does that not reorder our minds and hearts? How does that not steady us? Sitting in our prison, rethinking our past, struggling through our present, trying to find hope towards our future. Grace and peace. And then, as in almost every one of Paul's letters, except for Galatians, he breaks into his prayer. And he, he talks about how much he thinks about them all the time and how grateful he is. And here is how he describes it. All of that is because of your partnership. When I first came to Philippi, there, wasn't, there were no believers here. And now that I look back, It's not that there's mostly believers here. No, that's not the case. It's not that there isn't still adversaries and difficulties, but but I am no longer alone when I think about that place, and we are no longer alone when we think about that place. There is a partnership that has been created. Look at verses three through five. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And, and, and this is how Paul understood receiving the gospel. Okay, so can I just remind us of this? When we receive the gospel, we, we receive not only an invitation to God through grace to find peace, but if you look on the, and it's not even fine print, if you look at the bottom of the invitation, it is like an ongoing partnership. It's not just, hey, thanks for that. Um, I, I really do plan on being. I'm a professional casual observer. Now, we make this clear, actually. Every time we have a membership class, we've got one coming up again. Like, what we're not really about, like, you're welcome to sit, and you're welcome to, to listen, and you're welcome to try to engage here at Sunnybrook. Like, we're really glad that you're here if you've not experienced grace and peace fully like we desire, like God desires for you, then, then sit and listen and reflect and ask questions when you're ready and, and we will engage that kind of conversation. But, but once we have embraced, once we are a part of, once we are family, then we're really partners. Like we give because we're partners. We pray because we're partners. And, and, and the part that's interesting is that we are partners with one another and we are partners with God. And the Apostle Paul says, that is a great joy for me. That is a great joy for me. And, and therefore, I, I would encourage you in 2024 for, for you to look at this as a time. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I struggle a little bit with big churches. Because it's hard for me to look at a room like this and just kind of go, hey, we're partners. Sometimes we can get lost in the bigness, can't we? And that's why we believe so much in a smallness too. Like it's, it's both. If you have no smallness, maybe, maybe that explains like when you're in your prison. It's, it's not the fear, it's not the pain, it's the loneliness that's killing you. Maybe the reason why the Apostle Paul can sing is because he really knows he's not alone. And, and by the way, it, it looks like the, the prison that he's in now, not the one he was with in Philippi, where he was with Silas, he seems to be alone in this one. And he would say, Jim, I'm not alone. The Philippians are here with me. Really? Really? Paul says, yes. That's why I can pray with joy every time because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, from the first day until now. And then the Apostle Paul celebrates this idea that God will see you, that God will see us through to the end. Look at verses one through six, or sorry, six through eight. Why, why does Paul have this, this, this great confidence? This is one of my favorite verses in scripture actually is verse six. The Apostle Paul says, I am sure of this, that he, that would be God, who started the good work God is the one who started the good work. This is what I love about Paul's understanding is that I may have been the first one to tell you about the gospel, but this is from God. Like I may have been the one that kind of helped you in this. Like I might be the most, the, the most tangible or the closest thing to you, but I want you to understand the work that I am doing. Moms, think about this. The work that is being done in your children is a work of God. 
The good work is a work of him. God is the one who started the work. All of us as partners, we are partnering with God who is the one who has started the work, who is engaged in the work, who's going to see the work through. That's why it is so important that we understand as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not unnecessarily tied to this amazing partnership. We are rightly ordered within it. That is why we're not just a club. That is why when we talk about a partnership, it is a partnership that is something that is greater than all of us together combined. This is not a human effort. This is not something that Jim thought up or the first pastor at Sunnybrook thought up. No. This is an eternal work. It was fun being in class this past week and um, the, the, the man sitting across from me is from Kenya and, and we had uh, the Archbishop of Brazil on Zoom still. And, and hearing about their context in Kenya and, and, and realizing, wow, like this, this is bigger than I thought it was. Actually, I knew it was bigger. And all of these things. This is a good work of God. And, and, and there's one thing that Paul's confident of. Like, you might wonder where you're going. You might wonder how you get here. Paul says, no, I'm not actually. I am sure of this, that he, God, who started the good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way. I'm not just being... Um, I'm not just being pie in the sky. I'm not just being overly optimistic. I'm not just trying to pat you on the back. I'm speaking real biblical truth to you. And that is this. Times might be hard, but the God who started the work in you is going to see it to the end. Like I know you don't know how you got here, but God knows how you got here. And you don't know how you're gonna get out, but God is going to help you get out. And that's true for James. I'm kind of leaning into a story in the book of Acts where James and Peter are both in prison, two of the apostles. And James is killed. And Peter is set free. And God was faithful in both. God will see you through to the end. It is right for the apostle Paul to think this way because I have you in my heart and all of you are partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, like, what we share is not just a momentary thing. It's not just a flash in the pan. It's, it's not, um, I, I really decided a few years ago that I was going to go after the idea that the reason why I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is because I was sociologically conditioned and I grew up in a Christian home in Canada. Like I get how maybe those things played a part and I'm very grateful. I consider each one of them to be grace. But that is not why I am a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot convince me that I am here because of something that is sociological or psychological. There may be kind of like results that kind of go in that direction. But no, it is the goodness of God inviting me in. It is an amazing work of the Holy Spirit that convinced my heart, soul, body, and mind to lean into the goodness of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is leaning into. Moms and dads, you are not discipling your children alone. And by the way, we're here to help, but that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about God is the one who will see you through your parenting struggles. God is the one who will see you through your marital struggles. 
Okay, so you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out? Yes, but not necessarily like we want it. But God will see you through. And, and listen, I get it. I get, I'm, I'm enough of a contrarian to go, I just think you're just working this so that in the end it always just works out. And you go, yeah, and it, it can't fail. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Kind of like you're just cheating. Sure. I, I get how you get there. Or that actually is true. And you know what the difference is? Faith. Faith is the difference. I choose to look through. Thanks be to the Holy Spirit. I choose to look at my circumstances, difficult as they might be, imprisoned as I might feel, at times lonely, although I'm not lonely, I'm grateful for partners in the gospel, and God will see me through. No matter the circumstances around me. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared ahead of time. And so what do we do? Verse 9. As we, as we look at who we are, holy ones of God, as we look at what he has done for us, grace and peace, as we look at the fact that we are now partners doing this together, as, as we recognize all of these things, now it is time for us to acknowledge the fact that the work of the Holy Spirit will help us grow in knowledge and discernment. Man, that's an important term in our time. That's why we did that entire, like, really long series on wisdom. Recognizing the need for this. I mean, discernment is so lacking in our time. And, and I would say that this would need to be kind of expounded upon. But let me tell you, this is why... I think it is important for us to recognize that as we pray for the Lord's leading in our lives, I believe many of us, I'll confess my own, at times I'm looking more, I'm looking more for hints and gestures instead of like praying for discernment to discern God's will in these circumstances. I'm metaphorically looking for tea leaves or trying to read into conversations or, or, or circumstantial events. Which, by the way, I'm not saying God doesn't do things. They're usually of the miraculous nature. But so many of us, when we, when we talk about trying to, to discover the Lord's will, very seldom do we understand that we are to discern the Lord's will through the Holy Spirit in biblical community, connected to the Word of God, to discern what the Lord's will is. So Paul says, I pray this, that, you, that, that your love, isn't it interesting? It's that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in discernment. Your love will grow in knowledge and discernment, right? We sometimes want to talk about, is it love or is it truth? Is it love or is it knowledge? Listen, no, Paul says knowledge puffs up and love builds up. But what Paul is actually asking for them to do is that their love for one another and their love for God, which is an action, and an emotion, would grow in its knowledge to know the goodness of God, to know the greatness of God, to know the will of God. And then in the midst of that, to then for there to be discernment about what God has said, discernment about what God has called us to do, discernment on how to love and respond and to repent 
in the relationships around us. The Apostle Paul says, this is what we do. We grow in our knowledge of, our discernment of, our wisdom in. This is what, it, 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 is, it, is, it is work. Here's how he describes it later in the book of Philippians. Spoiler alert. Verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul says this to the church. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but now even in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. The, the work out your salvation is not do good things so that God will bless you or that God will save you. That's not it. It's because God has saved you, because you have experienced the fullness of grace through Jesus Christ. Now let us work through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is he that works in us and let us grow in our love and our knowledge of our love, what it means to love. Do you know what it means to love? Do you know the demands of love? Do you know how costly love can be? God is the perfect picture. He has now invited us in, and he is saying, listen, hear me, feeling is a real, real, real part of it. But it's to grow in this love. And what's the result? Verses 10 and 11. As we grow in our love, as we grow in our discernment, so that we would approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. That you and I would be filled, the Philippian church would have been filled and we would be filled of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of our God. Understanding who we are, sinner now saint. Realizing that it comes from the grace of God and resides in our peace. That this work that God began in us, he will see it through to the end. You have a part to play, but I promise you, the Lord will do more in your life than you will do. In your life, the Lord will do more. You're not in this alone. We're here with you. And better than that, the Lord is over us all. Let us commit to grow in our love in all knowledge and discernment. Because one day we will meet him. And that is why we remember, one day we will meet him. Pure and blameless is what we should desire to be. And I'm telling you, through the work of Jesus Christ, we are. Did you know that? That when God looks at you, there is a sense, and he's not playing some kind of a mind game with himself. The Lord looks at you, and for those of us who have trusted our sin dilemma with God through Jesus Christ, God looks at us and he sees his son. Did you, do you understand? And when I say this, I promise you I'm preaching to myself. Do we understand the fact that when God looks at us, he sees Christ? Like that is the righteousness that he sees? Like that is mind-blowing. God looks at you and through Christ sees his son. 
How do you get there? On the night he was betrayed, that's how you get there. He, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is the means by which God will look at us. My body, given for you. Eat. And the transformative power of the blood of Christ. God sees us through this. Let us drink. Mm. Pure and blameless because of Christ. I don't know what circumstances you find yourself in this morning. I don't know what your prison is. I don't know if you've been recently released and find yourself on parole. Wherever you are, let us commit to sing quietly, loudly. You have our permission to just get on, the knee, get on your knees and just sit there and reflect. But God is good and worthy of our praise. And so however we sing, may we sing to him. Amen? Let us worship well, brothers and sisters.